This is Kyle Hyman here with Bishop Rhodes for Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. And we're going to begin with our Lenten prayer, which is Psalm 51. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Have mercy on me, God, in your kindness, in your compassion, blot out my offense. O wash me more and more from my guilt, and cleanse me from my sin. My offenses truly I know them. My sin is always before me. Against you, you alone, have I sinned. What is evil in your sight I have done? That you may be justified when you give sentence, and be without reproach when you judge. O see, in guilt I was born, a sinner was I conceived. Indeed you love truth in the heart. Then, in the secret of my heart, teach me wisdom. O purify me, then I shall be clean. O wash me, I shall be whiter than snow. Make me here rejoicing and gladness, that the bones you have crushed may revive. From my sins turn away your face, and blot out all my guilt. A pure heart create for me, O God. Put a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, nor deprive me of your Holy Spirit. Give me again the joy of your help. With a spirit of fervor sustain me, that I may teach transgressors your ways, and sinners may return to you. O rescue me, God, my helper, and my tongue shall ring out your goodness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall declare your praise. For in sacrifice you take no delight. Burnt offering from me you would refuse. My sacrifice a contrite spirit, a humbled contrite heart you will not spurn. In your goodness show favor to Zion. Rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will be pleased with lawful sacrifice, holocausts offered on your altar. And now let us pray together. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. On this episode, Bishop Rhodes reflects upon the parable of the unforgiving servant, a gospel reading from this week. He talks about the parable's lessons in forgiveness, healing, and letting go of resentment. Then a reminder of the approaching Easter season with Laetari Sunday, which we celebrate this weekend. The show wraps up with Bishop answering questions from listeners. You can submit your question for a future show by going to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman, here with our good bishop. And we're actually pre-recording this because you are, at the time everybody's listening to this, are in Ethiopia on a trip with CRS. So are you looking forward to leaving for that? I really am. I thought we could have recorded it while I was in Ethiopia, <laughs> but it, the, maybe it wouldn't have come across uh, clearly from I'm there. sure you'll be plenty busy while you're <laughs> over there to take a little bit of time out for us. But uh, yeah, can you remind us again, what are some of the things that you'll be doing in Ethiopia? I'll be visiting some of the projects there of Catholic Relief Services. Mm -hmm. um, I think most of the listeners know I'm a member of the board of directors of CRS. So we'll be beginning in, in the capital city, Addis Ababa, visit the uh, CRS offices there. But then we'll go out in the field visiting projects in two different areas of the country. The one area is kind of close to the border with Somalia. 
a lot of our projects there are agricultural projects, especially because of the droughts that take place in Ethiopia. So I'm, I really don't know a lot about these projects as far as, you know, I don't know a lot about farming and, and yeah. uh, how they deal with the water shortage and irrigation projects. I know they dig wells. And so we'll be visiting that one region and then we'll, I think, go back to Addis Ababa and then go more to the central part of the country and visit other projects that they have because it's not just agriculture. I think there'll be agricultural projects there, but they also help people with um, building livelihoods in, in various ways. So really, I don't know a whole lot yet, so I'm really looking forward. It's kind of like I feel like a student going there where I'll be um, taking a lot in. And, uh, you know, the church, Catholic Church in Ethiopia is very small, but but has a strong presence there because of its charitable works mm-hmm. and healthcare works. But we'll be hosted by both our CRS team. We have, I think, about 250 staff there in the country. I will also be hosted by a couple of the bishops in those dioceses because CRS always works closely and in tandem with the local dioceses. The Ethiopian Catholic Church is one of the Eastern Catholic churches, so I know very little about it. I'm I'm, I'm looking forward to learning that as well, especially what it's like being a Catholic in in a country where there are so few Catholics. The majority of the people of Ethiopia are Orthodox. And that's interesting because the church, uh, Christianity in Ethiopia, goes back to the early centuries of, of the church. So the Orthodox are a strong presence there. And, and then there's a sizable number of people, I think maybe 35%, who are Muslim. Okay. Now, Ethiopia's uh, in, in a state right now of, a, of emergency. Uh, there was a declaration of... of um, emergency so that that's because of some political turmoil the prime minister has submitted his resignation so there seems to be and and there has been in in past years as well this political instability and um, so I don't know if we'll experience anything regarding that state of emergency while we're there but I hope that they'll uh, be able to have some reconciliation and be able to move forward in peace. That's so important. Yeah. Well, I look forward to hearing about your trip whenever you get back. And a reminder to all those listening, please keep Bishop in your prayers as he's over there in Ethiopia with Catholic Relief Services. And for those that were listening last week, uh, you gave a great reflection on the prodigal son parable, uh, this, this story of mercy and forgiveness. And we actually have in yesterday's gospel, was Matthew 18, 21 to 35, which is the parable of the unforgiving servant, which starts with this uh, kind of looking back at it now, it's, it's almost a kind of a funny scene where you see Peter asking, you know, really how many times do we have to forgive somebody? And, and he's like seven, is that, is that enough? <laughs> and Jesus really escalates it. Yeah. You know, and, and that's when our Lord responded to Peter, I say to you, not seven times, but 77 times. I love Peter. He's so human. Uh, <laughs> right. You know, he'll ask questions that probably a lot of us would have asked our Lord. <laughs> but our Lord gave us that parable, which really kind of, uh, it's a very powerful parable. If you recall, there was a king who had loaned his servants some money, and um, the one who was brought before him owed him a a huge amount 
and he couldn't pay back. So the servant really begged the king to be patient. So the king was, and he forgave him the loan. But then the servant went out, and he had another servant, one of his fellow servants, who owed him a much smaller amount, and and, uh, he showed no mercy. Mm -hmm. He wouldn't forgive that loan, and as a matter of fact, he uh, started to choke him and had him uh, put into prison, etc. So the message is clear that he, he was forgiven, but he didn't show forgiveness to his fellow servant. He had no pity for him, and of course, in the end, he was punished. And um, our Lord is really teaching us, as he says in the parable, so will my heavenly Father do to you unless each of you forgives your brother from the heart. Mm-hmm. So forgiveness is a great parable for us, especially during the Lenten season, the centrality of forgiveness in our faith. Hey, going back to the beginning of that with Peter asking how many times we need to forgive somebody, I think if we think in our lives of somebody that's maybe re- repeatedly hurt us, uh, especially some very difficult situations that I'm sure people are dealing with, with abusive family members or friends that kind of continue to hurt you. For those that are really struggling to forgive the person, maybe they they go to confession, they say, I forgive them, but really inside, they're still hurting from that. Do you have any advice on to, to how to overcome that pain and, and that feeling of, I know I should be forgiving somebody, but I don't know if I actually did forgive them? Yeah. No, that's a very good question. I think it's important to understand what is forgiveness. Uh Forgiveness is really letting go of the resentment, letting go of any kind of idea of vengeance, like wishing the person harm. That would be wrong. So forgiveness is letting go of that. But it doesn't mean that one doesn't continue to feel some hurt. I would even say, too, um, I think that's very normal. Mm -hmm. But we can still forgive someone even while we're still hurting from the offense that they have committed against us, their words or actions. Mm -hmm. But forgiveness is an act of the will. It's really a decision to love that person who has trespassed against us. And I would say that forgiveness actually helps to relieve hurt. Hmm. It helps the person who is doing the forgiving. For example, when a person can let go of that anger or resentment towards a person who's, who's hurt him or her, that's good for one's health psychologically and emotionally and spiritually. So it's one of those steps, but sometimes the healing will take longer. So we can still forgive people even if we still feel hurt from them. Now, does that mean you put yourself in a position where you can continue to get hurt? No. At at times, Mm -hmm. we may need to avoid certain people. I mean, if you're in a friendship, for example, that you know, you've know you heard maybe of toxic friendships, yeah. that it's just not healthy. It's not good for you. Like sometimes if you, know, you have a friend who's a narcissist, for example, that can be really, really tough. And for one's own self-protection, one may have to break off a friendship. But that doesn't mean you don't forgive the person. 
it means that you're not subjecting yourself to ongoing pain. Mm -hmm. Any suggestions when that person might be a family member or maybe even a parent where it's really hard to distance yourself from them? Yeah, I think that's where that's one of the biggest struggles. But at times it's necessary. If one is in, you know, a situation where one is getting abused by a family member, one has every right to distance himself or herself from that family member. We speak, for example, when there's abuse in a marriage, mm -hmm. that that's a legitimate reason for separation, mm -hmm. for self-protection. So hopefully that's helpful. You talked a little bit about the healing power of forgiving somebody and, and even voicing that sometimes. Can you talk a little bit about the, the disadvantages of holding a grudge and how that might hurt us physically or spiritually? Yeah, I mean, when one holds on to a grudge, you know, and bitterness kind of enters into one's heart. Bitterness that can even lead to the sin of hatred. So clearly it does spiritual damage. But it also can do psychological damage. I mean, there are people who harbor so much resentment that it kind of consumes them. And, and I think studies show even physical yeah. uh, results of that, high blood pressure, whatever it might sure. be, you know, stress that, that is harmful to one's health. You know, Kyle, here's a story I want to just mention that was probably the most powerful in my experience. It was in um, when I was Bishop of Harrisburg, I forget the year, but if you remember in the news, the attack on the girls in that local Amish school, it was in Lancaster County and that was part oh, of yeah. the Diocese of Harrisburg. And five of those 10 girls were, were killed. The Amish community, I was amazed that they refused to hate the one who had caused this tragedy. And um, it was really an atrocity. I mean, and the Amish said, we forgive this man. Mm -hmm. Actually, they even reached out to the family of the murderer and uh, supported them because they were so upset. So that's an example of forgiveness. They, they didn't harbor vengeance in their heart. And it was really amazing. So that to me was a radical response by a community of what Jesus is calling us to. Yeah. Um, I remember that uh, we tried to offer a lot of support, the Catholic Church, to the Amish community at that time. And I went to the local parish nearby, the schoolhouse, and uh, it, it was packed. So many people came, and we were there to pray for the Amish community. And a few of the Amish knew, and we were reaching out with other help as well, but a few of the Amish, and I never saw anyone, an Amish person come to Catholic Mass, mm -hmm. came to the Mass to thank us for our uh, spiritual support. Hmm. In such a tragedy, there was still this, this witness of love, and part of love is forgiveness. Yeah. Should the goal to be to forgive and forget what has happened, or is that a little misguided that there's some maybe power in remembering the event and, and still forgiving through that? Yeah, I agree with you. I, I don't think it's really possible <laughs> to forgive and forget. I mean, I don't know where that came from. That's not in the Bible. Uh, but humanly speaking, we do remember past hurts. 
it's not good to dwell on them, but also if one is in a situation where one can c continue to be a victim of someone else's aggression, one shouldn't forget <laughs> what happened to them yeah. for their own good, mm -hmm. they should remember. So I really don't buy that idea of forgive and forget. Yeah. All right. Well, I want to talk about some more about this parable and the idea of is, is Jesus suggesting that there's a conditional forgiveness of God. We'll talk about that as well as Latari Sunday and get a little Lenten booster. And we'll have questions submitted by you right here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman, and we've been talking about the parable where the master forgives the servant who owes him a great deal of money or, or finances, and, and then he doesn't go and forgive somebody that owes him. And it ends with this line, uh, then in anger, his master handed him over to the torturers until he should pay back the whole debt. So will my heavenly father do to you unless each of you forgives your brother from your heart. This idea that in order to be forgiven, that we also need to forgive others. And we hear this also in the, in the Lord's prayer that we forgive us our trespasses. We invite God to forgive us as we forgive others. Kind of this forgive us in the same way that we forgive others. So if we're not forgiving others, should we expect that God would not also have mercy on us? Right, I think that's the message. Um, our Lord is teaching us to place a condition on God's forgiveness. Mm -hmm. When he teaches us the Our Father, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And I think one of the things to remember here is forgiveness is an action that is purely divine. Um, hmm. And therefore, our asking God to forgive us as we forgive those who trespass against us. We're asking for him to give us that grace to forgive those who, who have hurt us. I think we have to take the words of our Lord seriously. We forgive as we've been forgiven. So then we are to forgive as God forgives. Mm -hmm. Only then should we ask God to forgive us as we forgive others. So in a way, we're taking out sin from below by extending God's grace that we've received from above. So this is an important petition in the Our Father that, you know, we shouldn't say so quickly. <laughs> um, and really, we should, you know, think about that. Yeah. I know there's probably some people that are really struggling with this and it can be a difficult thing. Any suggestions for somebody that's really having a hard time forgiving somebody, a spiritual direction or maybe a particular passage in the Bible or spiritual reading to do or find maybe a, a counselor, a Catholic counselor that can help them with yeah. that? Those are all good suggestions, Kyle. I think if one is really struggling with this, I recommend that they, that they go to a spiritual director, a priest, or someone else to receive help in this. Mm -hmm. um, I do think reflecting on how Christ forgave those. I mean, he forgave people before they were repentant. I <laughs> mean, when you think about Jesus hanging on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Mm. I find it helpful in situations where it may be difficult to forgive, to meditate on those 
passages in Scripture where we see especially Jesus forgiving uh, people. And I think the most powerful is they're hanging in agony on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, does that mean repentance isn't important? No. But the, the thing is, because it's through repentance that we open ourselves to the grace of that forgiveness. If we're not repentant, then we've closed the door to receiving that gift that God is wanting to give to us, the gift of his mercy. Yeah. So I feel like you're bringing up this idea of forgiving somebody, even if they're not sorry. Right. So, I mean, in the case of somebody hurting us right. in some way, you know, right. we can still forgive them, even if they aren't apologizing, they're not going right. to change or something like that. Exactly. And I suppose, too, in forgiving, we see in the story last week of the prodigal son that uh, the father forgives his son, and he, he's joyful. He throws a party. Like I mean, he's yeah. not yeah. He's not saddened by that, but he's, when in, the, in that case, I guess the his son is repentant. Right, and right. there's great rejoicing. So, but you know, sometimes if we're waiting, let's say someone's hurt us, and we're waiting for them to repent first, you know, we might be waiting for a long, long time. Right, you know, and it kind of is a way for us to like justify staying bitter, mm-hmm. and that's not good. That's not good for us, for our lives, for our spiritual lives. I think this is also tied to another perhaps most difficult passage in the Gospels, in the Sermon on the Mount, where, where Jesus says that we should love our enemies yeah. and pray for, pray for them and to do good to those who have hurt us. I mean, think about when St. John Paul II went to the prison to visit and to um, forgive the man who shot him, Aliashka. Well, actually, he did so even... Uh, that first within the first days after he was shot and nearly killed from his hospital bed he extended his forgiveness well that was way before there was any repentance mm-hmm. on the the part of his would be assassin yeah another thing we have coming up this sunday is latare sunday am i pronouncing that correctly latare okay and that is uh if you're okay with it our We'll call that our Catholic word of the week. If you could help shed some light on Laetare Sunday. Sure. Laetare is a, a Latin word that means rejoice, okay. to rejoice. And if you remember, the third Sunday of Advent is Gaudete Sunday. Gaudete right. also means rejoice. It's a Sunday in Lent, Laetare Sunday, the fourth Sunday of Lent, where we kind of have a little bit of a, a preview of um, the end of Lent. Here we are in the midst of our Lenten fasts and penances, but this is kind of a, a day where kind of that joy and hope of Easter is kind of foreshadowed a little bit, that it's just around the corner, we're almost at Easter. Even the color of the liturgical vestments, uh, rather than that deep purple, is a rose color, mm. so a brighter color. And the reason it's called Laetare Sunday is that the entrance antiphon, in Latin we call it the introite, the entrance antiphon of Mass on the fourth Sunday of Lent is from Isaiah chapter 66, verses 10 and 11. Rejoice, Jerusalem, and all who love her. Be joyful, all who were in mourning. Exult and be satisfied at her consoling breast. So the first word of the entrance antiphon 
is Laetare. Hmm. Rejoice. Rejoice, Jerusalem. Again, a quote from Isaiah. So that kind of sets the tone and the spirit of the liturgy for Laetare Sunday. Any suggestions or tips for us as we're kind of in the midst of Lent here, a little little booster for us that uh, any suggestions or? Yeah, I think, you know, being in the middle of Lent, you know, it might be good to say, okay, how faithful have I been to my mm-hmm. resolutions? And if you find that you've fallen short, there's still a few weeks left, you can kind of recommit yourself, maybe think about how you're spending your Lent. You might make another resolution if you feel that you're not having a very fruitful lent you might want to say okay i'm going to go to stations of the cross this friday or or something like that Mm -hmm. so really it's it's a question of let's persevere persevere on this journey yeah all right well if you have a question for bishop you can ask it by going to redeemerradio.com slash ask bishop you can call or text the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598. You know, maybe you'd like to know what a canon lawyer does. Well, that answer and more is coming up right here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. We're answering questions that you have submitted. Our first question comes from Darren Shorgen from St. Charles, Fort Wayne. Sent us a question using our online form. Said, can Bishop explain what's going on in China concerning Cardinal Zen and why it appears that the Vatican is allowing the Chinese government to replace him? Darren, that's a, a thank you for that question. I'm no expert on this, but I have followed it a little bit in the news mm-hmm. and I think might be helpful for the listeners to understand a little bit of what the situation of the church is in China. We have really two parallel churches. I mean, there's one Catholic church, but there's one group that we call the underground church and they have about 40 bishops. They're the underground church because they've been so faithful to the Vatican and the rights of of the Holy Father to appoint bishops. And a lot of these people for decades have really suffered for the faith. But then there's also part of the Catholic Church there, which is recognized by the Chinese government. Mm -hmm. It's called the Patriotic Association. So we have kind of like these these two parallel churches. Well, Pope Benedict XVI and probably John Paul II before him, and now Pope Francis, really want to bring these two churches together. These, well, they're not two churches. It's one church and two, uh-huh. two groups. But you can imagine how challenging that is. So there's all these diplomatic negotiations going on so that the underground church can come out from under the shadows and those bishops in the underground church can exercise their ministry. Are they operating in secrecy? Uh, even like the bishops, would yeah. the government know that they're bishops? Yeah, the, the government knows. Okay. I mean, some of them are under house arrest. I mean, some have been uh, put in jail. I mean, it's been, okay. and this, as I said, has been going on for, for decades. So the church is always fighting for their liberty. Mm-hmm. So there's kind of like this working together to try to find a compromise, mm-hmm. I guess you could say. So you have the Vatican diplomats led by the Secretary of State working and talking with the Chinese government. And there's some very, very difficult, I guess you could call them, uh, very sensitive issues. And part of the compromise, from my understanding, Mm -hmm. is that the Chinese government would have openness to recognizing these underground bishops, but they still want the, the power to approve any Episcopal appointments by the Pope. 
Um, So as they're trying to negotiate this, the Vatican evidently, I guess, or the Chinese government was insisting that two of the underground bishops be replaced by bishops from the Patriotic Association. Mm -hmm. From what I read, there seemed to be some openness on the part of the Vatican to that. And that's created a bit of a furor. In fact, the cardinal, retired cardinal of Hong Kong, his name is Cardinal Joseph Zen. He's 86 years old. He went to Rome to deliver a letter to Pope Francis asking the Vatican not to have one of these underground bishops step down to make way for a bishop who was, prior to this, an illegitimate bishop. Okay. I mean, valid ordained but not licitly um, I don't know what the Vatican decision is going to be on this but you can imagine how sticky a situation is it is so you have these different goals I mean the, the Vatican's ultimate goal is that these two groups of Catholics become united you know there's about 12 million Catholics in China about 5 million of them are in the official association the government approved Mm -hmm. church and perhaps although we don't know exactly but around 7 million underground Catholics so it seems that the Vatican negotiators are really anxious to reach an agreement and at the same time there is fear among many of these loyal Catholics in in China who are part of the quote underground church that they not be sacrificed in a sense especially the two bishops who um, would be replaced by these government approved bishops so I hope that's somewhat helpful Um, as I said I'm no expert on this I'm just speaking what I've read about Mm -hmm. but I really feel for the church in China just so awful that the Chinese government interferes in the uh, autonomy of the church especially the church's authority to appoint bishops Rome and and Beijing have been in negotiations for for decades I think China severed diplomatic relations with the Vatican in 1951 so there's not an official relations this is all kind of unofficial uh, negotiations that are going on. There's also the very thorny question of the Catholic Church in Taiwan, Hmm. you know, and uh, of course, they're part of the Catholic Church and there's freedom to the appointment of bishops, etc. And of course, the Chinese government is not very happy about that either. So the Chinese government endorsed bishops, are they, you're you're saying that they are bishops but illicit they are validly ordained bishops so they are true bishops because they were ordained okay by validly ordained bishops and some of them rome has approved the vatican has approved but some of them the vatican didn't approve so those are the ones that we consider illicitly ordained okay and illegitimate okay thank you for that clarification one of our listeners asked what does a canon lawyer do? How does one become a canon lawyer? Okay. You yourself are a canon lawyer. I am, yes. I have a license, licentiate degree in canon law. The church has the code of canon law, which is the laws 
of the church, all the norms that regulate the, the life and activities of the church mm-hmm. in, in every area. The church's teaching, mission, the sanctifying mission, our whole penal system, just, you know, everything from norms about priestly life, norms about religious life rights and obligations of the laity, bishops, everything. So a canon lawyer really is one who has studied and becomes hopefully an expert in the norms and laws of the church. And all these laws are meant to preserve the unity of the church and also ultimately to serve the the mission of salvation of souls. You know, you need order uh-huh. and that's what law brings. So anyhow, a canon lawyer is one who is uh, has studied the code of canon law in depth, especially they serve in dioceses and in religious communities. For example, here in our diocese, we have canon lawyers who assist me. Um, even though I'm a canon lawyer, I don't necessarily have all the knowledge of canon law that I need, so I have some canonical advisors. Mm-hmm. Some of our canon lawyers work in the tribunal of the diocese, which is really the church court. And um, of course, most people are familiar with the tribunal because they handle cases where people could petition for a nullity of their marriage, Mm -hmm. annulments. So when people think about canon lawyers, they'll often think about annulments. But really, canon lawyers deal with a lot more than the church's laws on marriage. Mm -hmm. So one has to study to get a degree in canon law. There are certain faculties at Catholic universities that have a school of canon law. In the United States, there is a school of canon law at Catholic University of America in Mm -hmm. Washington, D.C. There's also in uh, Canada, St. Paul's. And then some go to Rome to study canon law. Like myself, I studied and got a degree in canon law from the Gregorian University. So would that degree be equivalent to an undergrad or a master's or a PhD level? In the United States, it would probably be like a master's degree. Okay. Yeah. By the the term license means one has the license to teach it. Okay. Yeah. And the program is usually two to three years of uh, study. And then why? And then one could go on and become a uh, get their doctorate in canon law as well, huh. um, become even more expert. I don't have a doctorate. Okay. Why the word canon? Oh, that's a Greek word. Canon. It. It. Uh, oh my goodness, Kyle, you stumped me. <laughs> I think it. I think it's the Greek word for rule. Okay. I think. <laughs> <laughs> how, how many? Canon lawyers, are there in the diocese? Do you know? Oh, off, off the top of my head, um, probably four or five. Okay. And would they all work for the diocese in some form or another, or would there be other? No, some might work uh, part-time. Okay. Uh, we might just seek their uh, advice on, on a particular matter. Okay. Well, another question that came in is, why can some sacraments only be received once? Yeah, there's... There are, uh, of course, baptism and confirmation Mm -hmm. can only be received once because they imprint a permanent character on the soul. So once one is baptized, for example, one is united to Christ, one becomes an adopted son or daughter of God, one becomes a temple of the Holy Spirit, and that's permanent. You know, you can't uh, cancel out mm-hmm. the, uh, the we, we speak of an indelible sign, so it can't be erased. 
that's why you can't be baptized a second time get baptized a second time it's not going to do anything uh-huh. you're already all of those things so we're, we're speaking of a sacramental character so the sacraments that bestow a sacramental character this imprint on the soul on our very being they can only be received once holy orders is another one but keep in mind there are three grades of holy orders diaconate priesthood and episcopacy mm-hmm. but those two you can only be ordained a deacon once you can only be ordained a priest once you can only be ordained a bishop once because again there's this permanent configuration to christ there's this permanent character so those would be the three sacraments that can only be received once someone said to me once well what about marriage i said well no you can receive marriage again if your spouse dies yep is there any chance that uh, maybe a sacrament didn't work and it would need to be repeated if somebody was in the wrong state when they received the sacrament of baptism or confirmation or some other impediment where there'd be a question about if it was actually a legitimate baptism yeah well here you have to get into that distinction between validity and lyseity okay so yeah if it's a valid baptism or a valid confirmation a valid ordination can never be repeated now maybe the person receiving the sacrament was wasn't properly disposed Mm -hmm. you know for example was in the state of mortal sin does that mean that that baptism or confirmation or ordination was invalid no okay it but it may not be fruitful Hmm. because until one repents etc so we have to be very careful think about this as the fruitfulness of the sacrament okay so the sacrament's valid but it may not be fruitful it's even when we go to receive holy communion it's not going to be very fruitful if we're not properly disposed to receive holy communion the only way a, one of those sacraments would be invalid is if there's a defect in the matter, the form, or the intention. Let me give you an example. Uh-huh. If a priest baptized someone in the name of the Creator, the Redeemer, and the Sanctifier, mm-hmm. and they didn't say, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, that's an invalid baptism. Okay. Or if one didn't use water. Mm-hmm. You know, that would be invalid. So so there we're talking about the form of the sacrament, the matter of the sacrament, and the minister also has to have the intention to do what the church does. That's required for validity. But being in the state of grace is not, I'm speaking about either the minister or the recipient of the sacrament, is not a requirement for validity. Okay. But it could affect the fruitfulness of the sacrament. All right. Well, thank you. Well, if you have questions, you can ask them by going to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. You can call or text the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598. And we've got a question about chrism coming up and if donations should be given to the priest for sacraments. And more of your questions coming up right here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman asking questions that you've submitted. Our first question that uh, we have here in this segment is, what exactly is chrism? I know it's an oil, but what is the origin and meaning of it? Okay, um, chrism is made up of olive oil mixed with balsam. Balsam is a fragrant 
balm, kind of like a perfume. So chrism always smells so good. And it's consecrated by the bishop during Holy Week at the chrism mass. So, and it really, talk about its origin, it goes back really to the Old Testament. If you remember, priests, prophets, and kings were all anointed. Mm -hmm. Um, And we use this oil of chrism in the sacraments of baptism, confirmation, and also at the ordination of priests and bishops. We even use chrism, which is very unusual, but for an object, when when an altar is dedicated Mm -hmm. or a church is dedicated, the walls are anointed with the chrism. If anyone's gone to the chrism mass, when I bless the oil of the sick and I bless the oil of catechumens, that's pretty simple. But when I do the consecration of the chrism, it's much more elaborate. It's really an amazing, beautiful prayer. But one part of it is the bishop, when he consecrates the chrism, breathes over it, the vessel of chrism. And that really symbolizes the Holy Spirit coming down to consecrate the oil of chrism. When you think about the the sacraments that it's going to be used for, these are life-giving, sanctifying sacraments, baptism, confirmation, holy orders. Kind of reminds us of when our Lord breathed on the apostles on the night of Easter, and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. So the bishop breathes over the chrism when he says the consecration prayer. And uh, all the priests are there. It's really beautiful. And when I'm doing the prayer of consecration over the chrism, the priests all extend their right hands toward the chrism at that moment. It really signifies their union with the bishop. They'll be the ones administering often the, uh, well, certainly the baptisms. And so anyhow, um, this goes back also, I mentioned to the Old Testament, but also the anointing, especially at baptism and uh, confirmation. We see this in the early church. We have documents, like there's a famous document, a liturgical document of St. Hippolytus, where he describes the anointing that takes place in the celebration of baptism and in confirmation. So hopefully that's helpful. I invite everyone to the chrism masses. I have a chrism mass every year during Holy Week in South Bend at St. Matthew's Cathedral mm-hmm. and every year in Fort Wayne at, uh, at the Cathedral of the Immaculate Conception. And besides the consecration of the chrism and the blessing of the oil of the sick and the oil of catechumens, the priests at that mass renew their priestly promises. So there's a lot of con-celebrating priests. It's really a, a very beautiful liturgy. And for those that aren't able to make it, uh, Redeemer Radio also broadcasts the one in Fort Wayne, so people can oh, listen good. to that on the radio. I, yeah. I was there last year, and it was amazing. It, yeah. it really is a beautiful ceremony. Kyle, I forgot to mention the reason it's called Chrism is, remember, the title Christ. The name Chrism comes from Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what does Christ mean? Christ means the anointed one. So, and of course, we're anointed with the chrism. All right. Another question we have from Esther Sear from Christ the King in South Bend shared, I know someone who was recently ill and received anointing of the sick. She was told by a relative that she should have given a monetary gift to the priest. Is that required? No, it's not required. And, you know, to be honest, I don't think it's very common. I, I, uh, when I was a parish priest and did a lot of anointings of the sick, I don't recall receiving a donation or a stipend for anointing. 
Okay. Any other sacraments that that would be expected, or if you're if you have the means to do that, if that'd be a generous thing to well, mass consider? offerings. You know, we're very our people are very familiar when you ask to have a mass celebrated for someone. The typical donation or offering is ten dollars, but even that's not required if one doesn't have the money. I mean, we don't charge for sacraments. Right. I think at weddings, it's typical that. Uh, a donation is given but again it's all free will okay. free will offerings all right well thank you so much again bishop for taking this time remind people that you're currently over in ethiopia we're pre-recording this and so please keep bishop in your prayers uh, for his safety and for him to come back with some some stories that he can share with us and and widen our understanding of the universal church and could we get your episcopal blessing before we go sure the lord be with you and with your spirit Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now and forever. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you so much, Bishop. You're welcome, Kyle. Tune in next Wednesday at noon for another new episode. Topics will include St. Patrick, St. Joseph, and Bishop's Summer Pilgrimage. Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. 